Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, great to have you here. Uh, my name's Matt, and uh, this morning I'm sitting down. So I hope that makes you feel more at ease. Probably most of you are sitting down or even reclining. Uh, and that's just how we're doing things these days. So uh, it's great to be here with you. Uh, today we're going to be in uh, Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 12, all the way to chapter 2, verse 5. Uh, our topic this morning, we're continuing uh, to look at some of the troubling questions that Habakkuk has for God. Uh, today we're going to look at what we do when God's plan seems totally wrong. And uh, to begin with, I want to tell you a couple stories of uh, some people where the plans in their lives, uh, I mean, they... Uh, they couldn't see how they were right at all. So the first one is a name that you, you probably recognize. Uh, it's a man named Jim Elliott. Uh, he's a, a missionary, by now kind of a famous missionary to South America. Uh, he went there as a young man with his buddy Pete. Uh, they established kind of an outpost uh, near the, the jungle tribes and began to do ministry. Uh, he went home, married. Uh, a young woman named Betty came, started a family. There were, there were about five missionary families that kind of had this outpost and were really making uh, inroads. They built a, a landing strip so a plane could get in and out. Uh, they were connecting with uh, the tribal people. They were learning the language. Everything seemed to be going really, really well until they, until they went farther out to reach a more remote tribe called the Akas. Um, they had made contact with these people by dropping things from the air, but the men of uh, kind of the families wanted to go and make contact. But when they did... Uh, there was a misunderstanding, and the Akas th thought they were a threat, and they were killed. Uh, all five uh, men were killed. They were speared, and all the families were left alone. The ministry was, was left, in a sense, in, in shambles. And you have to imagine that people at the time, hearing of this, uh, this event, hearing of this, these murders, they would think to themselves, God, how could this be uh, your plan? I mean, if this is your plan, how could this be a good plan? That all of these families, they, they went, they followed you out into the world to tell people about Jesus, and now this is what happens? How do you understand that? How do you understand that kind of a plan from God? The next story is uh, about a, a guy you probably have not heard of. His name was Guido de Brez. Uh, he was part of the Reformation, uh, kind of in the, the mid-1500s, uh, lived in Europe. He was a, a pastor, theologian, and... Um, and he was one of the guys who helped uh, the people of the day to really connect with the true gospel. Uh, taught that we are saved by grace, uh, not by works. That it's our faith in Christ that saves us. It's, it's not our connection to the church. It's not anything that we do. Uh, he taught a lot, uh, preached a lot, but he was also aggressively persecuted by the Catholic Church a lot. Uh, he and his family, his young family, had to move from town to town, country to country, trying to find somewhere that was safe. Eventually, uh, they caught up with him. Someone he knew uh, betrayed him, told, told him where he was. He was arrested, and he was sentenced to die by hanging. They made him climb up a ladder, and then they pushed the ladder, and he, he fell to his death. Just imagine what he was thinking in the cell, awaiting for his execution. Thinking, God, what is going on? I mean, you, you know that my whole life is devoted to you. That everything I teach, everything I write is so that people will know more about you, God, how can this be your, your good plan for my life? How do I understand this, these events that are coming from you, you who are good, you who are holy? See, this question of, of God, is this really your plan? Is this really what you were doing? This is something that, that most of us have asked at one point or another, uh, whether we believe in God or not. I mean, everyone asks the question of, of why. Why, God? Why is this happening? 
but especially for those people who know God. Because Jim and, and Guido, they knew God really well. They knew his character. They knew his, his actions in the past. But still, his actions in the present must have left them wondering, and the people around them wondering, God, how do we understand this? Our sermon series is about these kinds of questions. Uh, questions that Habakkuk asked thousands of years ago. Now, some people have questioned me about the pronunciation of Habakkuk. Uh, I got a lot of um, pushback. Uh, some people say Habakkuk. Uh, I would say, you know, go with what your gut says. Uh, we're going with Habakkuk, but I'll probably slip back and forth. I used to say Habakkuk. Uh, it's a strange name, uh, but the guy himself, he was someone that we would want to know. He was a prophet of God in the Old Testament, and um, he, was, he was thinking of his life in, in many of the ways that we think of ours, trying to figure out how his understanding of God and the events of his life kind of come together. Last week, uh, Habakkuk's main question was, God, um, life around me does not seem good. He lived in Judah at the time. There was evil. There was corruption. And his question was, God, everything seems wrong. When are you going to do something about it? When are you going to put a plan into place to make things right? And God answered. We looked at this last week. God answered, uh, his answer was, I am doing something. I do have a plan. In fact, uh, the plan that I have is so amazing. If you understood it fully, you would be astounded by it. And so God told him his plan. He said, my plan is to judge the wickedness of my people by bringing the Babylonians, this evil, uh, violent empire, to come and conquer his own people to judge them for their sin. God said to Habakkuk, that's my plan. Now, not surprisingly, Habakkuk was not satisfied with that answer. In fact, it, it prompted in him more questions. And that's really our focus today because his questions were now not so much about life around him as he sees it and like seeing the wrongness of it, but now his question was, God, but your, your plan also seems wrong. That's what we're going to focus on. What do we do? How do we understand it when God's plan seems wrong? And we're going to look at it from two points of view. First Habakkuk and then from God. From Habakkuk's point of view, as we're going to see, uh, he thinks that the problem here, the problem with God's plan is that um, there's divine inconsistency is the best way to say it. That, that there's a good God, he knows God to be good, but the plan is, is evil. It certainly uses evil. And so there's inconsistency between who God is and what he's doing. That, that's what Habakkuk says is the main problem, divine inconsistency. And here's how he outlines it. I'm going to read the first uh, few verses again. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 1, starting in verse 12. This is Habakkuk speaking to God. He says, um, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment. He's speaking about the Babylonians. And you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors? And remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. So you can see right away what Habakkuk is zeroing in on is the source of the wrongness as he sees it. He's pointing out the apparent gap between who God is, what he knows him to be, and, and what he's doing. Uh, the language that he uses to describe God is, he says God is everlasting, uh, God is holy, God is a rock, God is pure. All these good things about the character of God, but then about God's actions in verse 13, he says, why do you idly look at traitors? Why, why do you remain silent when the wicked, that the Babylonians, swallow up the man more righteous than he? That's the people of Judah. 
Habakkuk saying, God, how am I to understand this, this obvious inconsistency about who I know you to be and what you're actually doing in my life? And that's a plan that I think many of us have asked, especially if we have tried to live a life of faith. There are times where we say, God, I, I, I believe in you, I know who you are, and yet the things that are happening, I just can't understand. One of the main times in my life for Don and I where this happened, where we really felt this tension, uh, was when we transitioned from uh, my career as a teacher to then into ministry. Um, this happens over the course of a, of a few months, <clears throat> really half a year, where I was teaching at a school near our house, loved teaching. Um, we were involved in church. Willingdon was our church at the time. And yet uh, we began to have a sense of God's leading that, that we should be in ministry full time. It began with Dawn, who has felt this kind of unsettledness. She began to pray about it. I began to pray about it. We talked to people about it, talked to each other, and we came to a point of a real uh, peace and even conviction that this, this was right for us. This is where God was leading us. Uh, we were very excited about it, actually, which is why uh, when we began to take our first steps down that road, we were totally caught off guard by the turmoil that it caused. And, and the way that it happened, the thing that kind of really uh, caught me off guard uh, in the moment was in the very last meeting, we had been talking with Willingdon Church about being on staff there. In our final meeting with the elders, where they were going to sort of approve us in this position, um, I came out of that meeting and I was, man, I, I just felt so blessed, so encouraged. I felt like, man, God was, was with us. This is exactly what we thought would happen. Uh, they approved me to be in the position, which was one thing, but just being in there, I really felt the presence of God. Dawn's experience was totally the opposite. I mean, she came out of there and, and she felt like we had made a huge mistake. Even though they had said yes, she, she felt kind of examined and, um, and nervous and, and, and worried about things. She felt like... Um, like this whole trajectory for our life was now wrong. She was saying, we, we, we shouldn't go into ministry. And more than that, she was saying, I think we need to move churches. And I, and I couldn't understand what was going on. Later, I came to realize that she was undergoing a form of spiritual attack that was amplifying the, the fears and doubts that were, that were sort of there in, in Dawn's heart, but bringing them up. And she was feeling them with such intensity. And the result was that all of a sudden, we were not on the same page. And, and it brought incredible uh, conflict between us, tension in terms of what do we do? We're already starting down this path. Do we keep going? And I just remember thinking and praying, God, God, what are you doing? How can this be your plan for us? I mean, we were following you. We were, we were doing the thing that we felt called to by your spirit. We want to serve you. And now this, this is what's happening? I couldn't understand it at all. Everything seemed wrong all of a sudden. And this is exactly what Habakkuk is feeling like. I mean, he's looking at the, the world around him for one thing and then looking at now God's plan to deal with the, the wrongs of the world and saying, this seems wrong. Your plan seems even worse than what was going on to begin with because, because there was evil and there was corruption before, but now there's going to be even more. I mean, the Babylonians are horrible. In fact, he goes on to, he paints a real vivid picture of how wrong God's plan is. It's almost like he's trying to uh, show God, just help him to understand what, what, what his plan means. So he gives this picture of the people of Judah like fish. And the Babylonians are like these merciless fishermen. And, um, and so here's how it reads. This is verse 14. He says uh, to God, you, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He, that's the Babylonian, he brings all of them up with a hook. 
He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? You see kind of the, the crux of, the, of what the problem is and, and God's role in it. You see both of those things. First of all, um, Habakkuk makes it really clear that, God, you're responsible for this. I mean, verse 12, he says, O Lord, you have ordained them. You've ordained the Babylonians as judgment. Verse 14, you make mankind, uh, Judah, the, the people, like the fish of the sea. And this is not just Habakkuk like accusing God. God himself speaks in this way. Last week in verse 5, uh, God said, um, For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. I am raising up the Chaldeans, that the Babylonians... So the Babylonians are, uh, of course, responsible for their own specific sins, but in terms of the grand plan of what's going on, very clearly God is responsible for that. Which only serves to highlight the gap, the apparent gap, between God's character and his actions. And in fact, the the thing that's really, I think, grieving or bugging uh, Habakkuk is that this plan of God, it seems to to not only involve evil, but it's going to perpetuate evil. Uh, Verse 17, he says, Is he then, uh, the Babylonian, to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Because he's saying, You know, I began, God, by questioning you about when you were going to do something to stop the evil. Now this plan brings more evil, in a sense, into the world, and it's going to keep going. They're just going to keep killing. They're going to keep taking over nations. So the core issue here is, is, is how can God use evil for his good purposes? And, and how are we to understand how this will ever work out for good? How, how, God, can we trust you when the very things that you're doing are undermining our sense of your goodness, making it more and more difficult uh, for us to truly to trust you and have faith in you? So, so the focus here is on the inconsistency of God, this, this divine inconsistency. Now, Again, I don't think this struggle is unfamiliar to us. Uh, many of us are in a position, maybe even right now, where we're, where we're looking around and we're saying, God, I believe in you, I trust you, but the things that are happening keep making it more and more difficult for me to truly believe that you're for me. I mean, the crisis itself brings all manner of struggle, but probably even before this, this massive worldwide pandemic, there are things in our lives where we really struggled to believe that this was um, for our good. And because of that, we really struggled to believe that God was good. So what do we do? What do we do when we're in this position where we look around us in our life, everything that seems wrong, and then the things that God is doing also seems wrong? Well, there are two options. <clears throat> uh, two things, kind of obvious things in a sense. One is that we can just, uh, we can abandon our faith. Right? We can say, um, in our own hearts, we can say to God, well, however it works, uh, Lord, I, I just don't think I can keep trusting you. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my Bible less. I'm going to pray less. I'm going to get to the point where I'm, I'm trusting in other things because I just I can't reconcile what you're doing with who you say you are and I, I just can't trust you anymore. But the second thing we can do is to step, to step out further in faith, to wait on God to continue to pray, to continue to look for for wisdom, to ask for insight, to find some way to to continue to trust in God for who he says he is, even in the midst of the 
of the difficulty. And that's what Habakkuk does. In fact, he pictures himself on a, on a watchtower. I'm not sure if he actually was on a watchtower, but this is the image he gives. Here's uh, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Now, if you've ever waited on God for an answer to something or for a difficulty that you want to get figured out and there's been a season where you haven't heard from God, you know that, that waiting is difficult. I mean, waiting is one of the, the most difficult tests of faith. Um, waiting is hard for anyone. I, I'm not sure if you remember, there's a song uh, by Tom Petty, passed away a few years ago, but uh, he has this song called The Waiting. And the chorus begins, the waiting is the hardest part. I don't think he was, I don't think he was talking about God. He was probably talking about uh, a woman. But, but it's true. Waiting is always difficult. The waiting for someone and certainly for God is, is, is the hardest thing because day in, day out, nothing has changed probably. It, it may be that in your life right now, the things that have not changed for months or years, and you're so tired of waiting. You're wondering if God will ever answer. What we see in the Bible is a consistent affirmation that to wait on God is a, is a blessed thing, is a good thing, and, and that as we wait, God will answer us. Habakkuk had the, the unique um, opportunity to hear from God. I'm not sure how long he waited, but he heard audibly from God. Um, and what God said in his answer brought a lot of needed insight. In fact, when God answers Habakkuk about this whole issue of, of the wrongness of life and the wrongness of his plan, uh, God looks at it from a completely different point of view, a completely different angle. See, instead of uh, the problem being a divine inconsistency, what God says the problem really is, is human short-sightedness. That, that we can't see the, the plan uh, for what it truly is. See, Habakkuk said, look, God, your plan is not good. God says, no, the plan is good. It's just that you can't see it fully. You, you can't see the end of that plan. So here's, uh, here's God's response. Uh, verse 2, he begins, it begins this way. The Lord answered me, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. Now, this is interesting because what God is basically saying is, look, Habakkuk, before I tell you uh, the answer, you, you need to get something. You need to write this down. And he says, don't just get like a scroll, because scrolls, they can be, you know, eaten away. They can degrade. What you need is a stone tablet. That's how important this answer is. You need to etch in stone the, the vision, the plan that I'm about to give you, because people uh, for years from now are going to want to read it. So you need to make sure that it's going to last, which is kind of true. It's kind of what, what we're doing now. So what is it that, what is the answer? Here's verse 3. God says, for still the vision, that's like the plan, the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So God basically says, look, it's, it's not that the plan isn't good. It's just that it's not finished. Now, it's not going to be late. You notice some of the language there. It says uh, it, it awaits its appointed time. It said it awaits its appointed time. So it's not going to be late. It hastens to the end. Um, it may seem slow, but he says, wait for it. And notice also, uh, he says, this plan, this vision is not flawed. He says, it will not lie. So the inference here is that, look, um, if Habakkuk, if you were to see the fullness of my plan, um, you would see its goodness. 
when we get to the end of this plan, you are going to see that I am working for your good and for my glory just as I should and everything is going to work out perfectly. You're going to see the goodness. You just can't see it right now. That's, that's the core of the issue from God's point of view. Not that the plan is wrong, not that he's inconsistent, but that Habakkuk, as a human being, struggles to see the future, of course. God sees everything, all of time, all at once. He can see how good this plan is. For Habakkuk, it's a real struggle. So the problem is human short-sightedness. This is a really helpful answer. When we take this to heart, when we reflect on our lives, I think we can see immediately the, the rightness of it, the truth of it. Because given enough time, when we look back on our life, we can very often see the things that are good that have come out of difficulty. Uh, We can see the way in which we've changed, the way in which circumstances have changed. Uh, In the moment, we we hate it. In the moment, it's tough, it's, it's excruciating, it's difficult. But very often, as we look back after months or years have gone by, we can say, you know what, there was actually good that came out of that. I'm the person I am today because of that, of that difficult time. That season of challenge for Don and I was a lot, was a lot like that. In fact, exactly like that. Uh, it, 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 didn't, it didn't end quickly. Uh, there, was, there was difficulty for us in our season at Willingdon, and then it even got worse as we moved to Westside, which is our next, next ministry position. Uh, there was incredible strain between us as, and husband and wife, um, incredible difficulty for the family, difficulty for our ministry. There were times when we were ready to leave ministry. But as we look back, on that season, it's unmistakable the, the good that God was doing there. He was exposing sin that, that we didn't realize was there. He was exposing areas where we weren't really trusting him, where we were finding comfort in other, other aspects of our life. He was revealing to us the true nature of faith and what it really means for, for me to love my wife and for, for Don to follow me as a husband. As we look back, we see that that time is essential for preparing us for the ministry that God has for us now. In the moment, it, it was horrible. But in time, we, we see the, the, the goodness of it. Now, the challenge, the challenge of, of seeing life this way and accepting this is that in the moment, we, we, can't, we can't see the end. But the end clearly is where we, we can fully evaluate any plan. In fact, it's, it's only by the end of the plan that you can really decide, was this a good plan or not? In the middle, very often times, things seem crazy. Things seem like they're not going to work. Things seem like they're going off the rails. But by the end, if it, if it works, then we say, man, that was, that was a good plan. Uh, if, you, if you grew up in the 80s, and, and I hope that you did, because it was a great decade to grow up, um, there's a TV show that you probably loved, uh, and that is a TV show called The A-Team. Did, did you love that show? Man, so good. At, Whenever it was on after school, I'd get home and I'd watch the A-Team. If you remember, they had this sweet van. They were basically a vigilante team. Uh, Hannibal, Murdoch, uh, Faceman, and B.A. Baracus. And they would help people. Every episode was exactly the same. There would be some problem, like a corrupt sheriff in town. People would contact them. They'd go and they would make a plan. And usually the plan involved them building something cool in a garage. Or they'd be welding stuff and then they'd bring this thing out, a weapon or a machine, and they would, they would defeat the bad guys. And at the end, the end was the best part because Hannibal, who was the leader, he would always, he would look at them and he would say, I love it when a plan comes together. And he'd have the smile on his face. And it was so satisfying. Such a great line because it is, it is wonderful when plans come together in the end. In the end is when you know if a plan succeeded. And when it succeeds, man, it's, it's so satisfying. Well, in these last couple verses, 
God contrasts how things come together for two groups of people, those who have faith in him and those who have faith in themselves. And he, and he kind of ties the through line for, for the faith that we have, whether we trust in his plan and in him, and then where that ends uh, if we do or if we don't. So, uh, so here's verse 4 and 5, last verses for this morning. He says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. This is the Babylonians. His soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, this is now talking all about the Babylonians. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects all his own peoples. See, the contrast there is very clearly. Babylonians, they're puffed up. They're not upright. They're arrogant, uh, intoxicated with wine and with themselves. Uh, They have faith. But they have faith in themselves. They have faith in their military strength, in their might, in their power to go in and conquer any nation. That, that was where they felt settled. And the thing about the Babylonians is in the moment, man, that seemed like a good plan. I mean, it said that they, uh, if you remember what it said about the, them as fishermen, right? It said that they live in luxury, that they have rich food. The Babylonians, they were, they were feeling like there was no one who could oppose them. Like their empire was the best and the strongest because it was. In the moment, it seemed like they had every reason to trust in themselves. But the contrast that God gives is is what will happen in the end. You might have noticed some of those words that he associates with the Babylonians. Words like death and Sheol. Sheol is is hell, the afterlife. Not not a good place, not a good end. And in fact, next week, next week we're going to see with the rest of God's answer that there is in fact very severe judgment for the Babylonians that God has in store. That's contrasted, though, with the righteous. It says the righteous, they, they live by faith. They, they, they have life to look forward to. And in fact, that's what God is calling Habakkuk to do, to live by faith, to trust in him, to trust in his plan, even if in the moment it doesn't seem good. Now, you might, you might push back a bit on this. Because in a sense... Um, what I'm saying, what we're seeing here in Scripture is something that uh, many people, it really frustrates them when you get this answer from Christians. Because you might share an area of difficulty, a question, a trial, or something, and sometimes the Christian response is, well, you know what you need to do? You need to have faith. If you just have faith, then everything will work out in the end. And the sense that you get from that response is, look, don't, don't think too hard about something. Don't worry too much about something. Just have faith that in the end, God will work everything out. And the problem with that is that sometimes, sometimes we can look back in seasons of our life and, and see, yeah, okay, I, I get it. That, that was difficult, but it was good for me. But there are a lot of things in life that people will say, you know what? I don't see anything redeeming about this. Because this doesn't enrich my life. This ends life. Things like death. Things like terminal illness. Debilitating disease. Loss of a child. Loss of a spouse. That there are things in life that, that we rightly say, people rightly question, how could God say or anyone say that this is ultimately going to be for my good? And that's a fair question. That, that's a question that we need to be able to to respond to well in light of what we see here. And, and there's a couple things that should be said. Firstly, uh, we need to be very, very careful 
that simply because uh, we might understand and believe in the sovereign hand of God, being in control of all things good and evil, that, that doesn't mean that we understand specifically what good might come out of a situation. We can do great harm. We can be very insensitive. We, if we walk into a situation where someone is suffering and we try to, we try to pinpoint for them, well, here's, here's why you're suffering. Here's why this happened. Because God wants to do this in your life and this in your life. We don't know if that's true. That's not loving. That's not kind. The Bible calls us to mourn with those who mourn and to comfort those who are suffering. It's not a time to, to paint a rosy picture or to give a lesson of theology. We, we need to meet people. We need to care for each other as we really grieve for the things that are truly mournful and sorrowful. But there is another part of this. And that is the truth, the biblical truth, that everything, everything is, is in the hands of God. The Bible shows us this from Habakkuk here, uh, where we see this, this massive army, this massive empire being, being moved and orchestrated by God, by his hand. But it even gets down to the sort of the details of our life. Romans 8.28 Famously says, for all things, all things work together for good for those who love God. So how do we reconcile this? How do we reconcile this promise of God that all things, even the evil, even the wickedness, even the suffering, even the injustice will work together for good? The only way that we can do it is if we have a sense of what the end looks like. See, when you have an understanding of of the righteous living by faith and by living, truly living, living for eternity, living in perfection with God, then we get a better sense of, of what it means to live in the here and now. See, what Habakkuk is, is alluding to is that those, those who have faith, they will truly live by their faith, which means that in the end, by the grace of God, we will not end in death or in Sheol or in hell, but we will, we will have entrance into heaven. In fact, this is the picture we get even more clearly in the New Testament. On the other side of the cross of Jesus, we see what this might look like. But look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 to 18. It says, For this light momentary affliction, talking about the troubles of this life, this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. See, what this is saying is that Habakkuk was wrong. Was wrong. The real issue here is not, is not divine inconsistency. The real issue is our short-sightedness. Is the fact that it's so difficult for us in our sin, in our, in our limited humanity, to be able to see the big picture of what is to come. Because if we could see the big picture, we would know the glories of heaven that are coming for us. And, and those wonders and glories of being in the presence of God, of living a life each day that is free from fear, free from shame, where there are no more um, relational breakdowns, no more diseases, no more threats to our life emotionally or physically, where we have the, the joy of perfect peace with all the people in our lives and with God himself. See, when we, when we grab hold of that, of that picture, of that truth, then everything else in this life pales by comparison, even death. You know that expression? 
when something pales in comparison? I, I'm not sure if you fully grasp what this means. So I have, a, I have something I thought I would, uh, a, a bit of an object lesson to show you. Um, this is a, an actual pail that I found years ago. And um, it's a bit beat up because it's been in my backyard. But you'll notice that this pail says right on it, pale in comparison. Isn't that, isn't that great? Pale in comparison. So uh, the, the humor here is, be, well, you know the humor, but here's the point. Many things in life pale in comparison. That, the idea there is that when you have a vivid picture, when there is something that, that radiates with, with color and, and glory and wonder, then everything else is, seems inconsequential. It seems pale in, in comparison. That's, that's what heaven does for us. It's not that it, it robs our life of meaning. It's that the trials of our lives, they seem less weighty because we have this, this vibrant picture of what life will be like with God. Because we know that in the end, there will be judgment. All the evils in our lives will be dealt with by the sovereign judge who doesn't miss anything. And we know that every hurt, every, every wrong, every regret that we have, everything that we feel guilty about will be wiped clean even now because of the cross of Jesus who died in our place and then rose to new life promising us life forever in heaven with him. See, the real answer, the real answer that we need when we try to reconcile the wrongs of this life, the wrongs of, apparent wrongs of God's plan is, is this. It's that the righteous shall live by faith. We will we will truly live, not just in the life to come. That's, that's, the, that's the anchor. That's the future hope that we grab hold of. But when that future hope infuses our, our mind and our heart, when we truly are clear about, about where this will end up, how the plan will end, that transforms our life here and now. It, it completely changes the way that we see everything. We are able to actually live by faith. To illustrate this, I just want to tell you the end in a sense of the story of Jim Elliot. Because while his life ended, his ministry did not. Uh, Elizabeth, his wife, and the other ladies there who were widows, uh, they didn't leave Ecuador. They decided to stay and continue on the ministry to the, to the tribes there in the jungle. And, and even more amazing was that a couple of years later, when that remote tribe, the Akas, uh, contacted them, they, they had sort of been in, in contact, they invited them to come and live with them. And Elizabeth Elliot and a couple of others went and lived with the people who had murdered their husbands. And, and they did it because they understood. They understood what we're talking about today. That even though the plans of life seem wrong, even though it's hard to reconcile some of the events of life that seem so evil, there is a greater hope and a greater joy in Christ. And for Elizabeth Elliot, she wanted, she wanted to be faithful and be able to show forgiveness to this tribe that had taken her husband from her, but more than that, wanted to introduce them to the forgiveness of Christ. That they too could be saved from their sins. And that's exactly what happened. Many of the tribes, people there came to faith. Many of them had a hope that they did not have before. Elizabeth Elliot went on to write a lot of books, a lot of great quotes. I want to read this, this last one for us. She said this, The will of God is never exactly what you expect it to be. It may seem to be much worse, but in the end, it's going to be a lot better and a lot bigger. I want to read it again. Just think of what, what she's saying in light of what happened in her life. She says, The will of God 
is never exactly what you expect it to be. It may seem to be much worse, but in the end, it's going to be a lot better and a lot bigger. See, the beauty of those words is that they point us back to God's word. That the, the bigger and the betterness are all rooted in God's majesty, his, his love, his sacrifice, the fact that he is ensured through his son, through the cross, that no matter what happens in this life, there is always hope. There's always joy. And that we can, we can trust him in the midst of the difficulties. In fact, we can even rejoice in them as we look for opportunities to glorify him and, and to share with others about what God has done for us that is so good. So, so that is the next interaction between Habakkuk and between God. The troubling questions that Habakkuk answers keep getting answered with the sovereign, wonderful word of the Lord. And my hope is that as we look at our lives this week, where there are many trials, many things that are difficult to reconcile, that we too would have that end hope in mind and that we would be able to live by faith. Let me pray for us. Lord God, I do pray for those of us who are struggling with so many things right now. Lord, none of this is meant to make light of that. Uh, Jesus, you wept when there was sadness around you. God, you've, you've revealed yourself to be the great comforter who comes to comfort us in difficult times. Jesus, you endured injustice and cruelty and violence. You know what it's like. I pray, God, that we would, we would be comforted by the presence of your Spirit. And I pray that we would grab hold of the hope of heaven, that we would know that this plan has an end and it is a glorious and good end, and that we would be encouraged, Lord, we would be joyful because of the truth that you've not forgotten us, that, Jesus, you are with us, and that as we cling on to the, to the hope of heaven, even this life is redeemed. God, I pray for each one of us this week that we would be filled with that truth, that hope, and your spirit. And Lord, that we would have joy. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.